Do not disturb. Tiny grass is dreaming. Hello, and welcome to the China Podcast. We're four episodes in. Follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, leave a like, send a tweet. If you're enjoying the podcast and you're getting something from it, tell a friend. Um, we ourselves, we've been busy putting the word out there in all the various circles, but now we'd love to see it grow naturally to blossom. Yeah, we were very busy on the social media last weekend. We were putting together a new WeChat group for everyone interested. Now, at the time of speaking, we have 75 beautiful souls in there with us. Kind of feels like a private members club, doesn't it? Yeah, except we don't charge like other private members clubs. No, we don't. And yeah, thanks to everyone for joining. We're delighted to have you all on board. And again, we must express our thanks to all of those who have taken the time to give us their, their feedback. Your input, as ever, is invaluable. Indeed. Now... Last week we gave you but a flavour of the culinary oddities in Chinese cooking. We probably could do a, an entire series on food alone, but that's not what we're about. Although, out of interest, Eric, have you eaten anything strange since? You know what? I ate some tripe again at a hot pot dinner. Was it spicy? Well, there were some very large fat chilies dancing around the boiling water, as you know. So that'll tell you. Doing you know, tango. doing the little tango, yeah. Uh, maybe it was a, a salsa dance. Could have been a salsa. You know, I'm all right to eat Chongqing hot pot for about 20 minutes, but very quickly I find that I need to start sinking glass at their glass of water because because of the heat, of course. Yeah, it's never a quick meal, is it? Never, ever. But Friday gone was only the second time I had hot pot after I've come to Chongqing. Uh, you know, the first time I had it, we ordered the, the least spicy version. Long story short, it was so spicy that towards the end of the meal, I thought I was going to go blind. True story. Uh, and like, I also had this this weird tingling sensation going on in my legs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There should be a name for that, like a hot pot paralysis or something. Right, yeah. You'd wonder, you'd wonder if eating hot pot regularly has any long-term effects on the stomach or... Well, it definitely has some short-term that's, effects. That's true. You've said that. Um, and the place you went to, did it did it have any of those robot waiters buzzing around the place with the plates of food? It actually did. And the strangest thing is that there is commonplace nowadays uh, that we, you know we barely bat an eyelid when we see them zipping by the tables. Uh, of course, the odd one or two people might take a video, but. Most others just, just, just carry on as if, as if it was the most normal thing in the world. It's all very very cyberpunk here in China, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So futuristic. So, let's talk cyberpunk. Yes, please. Now, of course, cyberpunk going is such a, a huge genre. Where do we start? Well, let's start with the foundations of cyberpunk. What is it? Well, we'll start with the words itself. The word was invented by a writer called Bruce Bethke in 1980 in a short story called Cyberpunk. And he, of course, had no idea how popular the word would become, did he? No, it was just a throwaway portmanteau word that he used as the title to a short story about computer hackers in the future. Uh, Bethke himself, he became an award-winning author and he went on to win the Philip K. Dick Award for his novel Head Crash 
1995. But even though he was relatively unknown at the time, the word just kind of took off from there. Bethke has never claimed to be the inventor of the movement. He puts that squarely on the head of a man called William Gibson, who wrote the novel Neuromancer in 1984. That's true. People claim Gibson as the real turning point in the movement. He himself was standing on the shoulders of other people. Think Anthony Burgess, who wrote A Clockwork Orange, Philip K. Dick, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which would become the basis for Blade Runner. Right, so that's where it came from. But what is it? Cyberpunk is a subgenre of science fiction, particularly dystopian fiction. Now, dystopian fiction has been around since the very advent of fiction novels. You might not know this, but Thomas Moore in 1516 wrote his best-known work, which was called Utopia. In it, he criticised the Catholic Church that was prevalent in 16th century Europe at a time when the Reformation was in full swing. He was essentially describing a dystopia. But we aren't concerned with that level of dystopia. We're talking about the new wave of science fiction, which was popularised in the 60s and the 70s. At the same time as literature, there was a new wave of music and there was a new wave of cinema. Um, It was modernist or postmodernist. And it was within this movement that we had authors like Philip K. Dick and, and William Miller, who both took on dystopian settings. Now, fast forward 20 years and we have an image of a dystopian future where Oriental influences start to subvert Western cultures through their technology and, of course, their sheer mass of population. Now, this is something that we're going to expand upon in part two. Yeah, that's right. So, if we take the example of Philip K. Dick and his novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which was written in 1968, this inspired the movie Blade Runner in 1982. Blade Runner, of course, and if you don't know, it was such a timeless piece of work, uh, and it starred Harrison Ford. Uh And it was followed up recently by a a sequel in which Ford stars alongside Ryan Gosling. And if you haven't already seen it, go and watch it now. It's a spectacular piece of work. But to get back to the Philip K. Dick's novel, it's a a pretty short book. And you can read it in one sitting if, if nobody annoys you. So how do you make such a short book into a motion picture? And that's where Ridley Scott comes in. Ridley Scott, the film director, of course. The very one. He took inspiration from the art style of Edward Hopper paintings. Nighthawks being one of his most famous paintings. That's the one. um, People sitting in a diner late at night. Um, And he took inspiration from French science fiction comic books as well. And what Ridley tried to do was to present the movie Blade Runner as that with, and I quote, Hong Kong on a very bad day. And then he mixes that with his upbringing in the industrial north of England. So lots of neon lights, but with factory workers by the million. Exactly. And that's where the imagery took off and the tropes of the genre were to follow. Now, before we dive deep into the tropes of cyberpunk, I think it's necessary to set the scene, to create a, a picture as it were. Rather than just dish out the facts, we'd like to help you guys listening visualize what we're talking about here. It's possible that some of you are even unfamiliar with the cyberpunk genre, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. So what we want you to do is just sit back and let us now take you down to street level. What does a cyberpunk city (coughs) look like? 
let's first talk about rain. Yes. Now, it's important to remember that the following are tropes in themselves, but they do help better establish the visual of the cyberpunk aesthetic. Rain exists in the dystopian city of cyberpunk worlds. There's no escaping it. In cyberpunk fiction, it's used to wash away the spirit of the city populace. It's it's used more as a representation of hopelessness and despair and it can never be shaken from society. It's more than just a weather effect. Whereas in reality, and we'll use China as an example here because that's what we know, unlike the cyberpunk cities represented in, in popular culture, society in the Chinese urban equivalent beams with character. It beams with life and people and all the usual sounds of a big city, even on rainy days. Rain doesn't reflect the mood of the populace like it might do in fiction. It's simply an added feature. In Chongqing, it rains a lot, usually big old fat rain. Some drizzle too during the winter months. And there's another thing that hit me as I was out walking the other night. Was it a car? It wasn't a car. <laughs> it wasn't a car. <laughs> <laughs> but funnily enough, I'm going to use driving a car as a way of trying to paint a picture here. So, when it rains heavily in a big city with bright neon lights and there's a lot of standing water around, those neon lights reflect off the water as beams travelling in several directions. Kind of star-shaped. Like in, like in physics, this is called specular versus diffused reflection and when you're walking along and it's raining with this mad light show going on around you things directly in front of you can often be hidden in plain sight it's like literally being blinded by the lights imagine you're driving along at night and you're trying to pay attention to the road markings ahead of you but you've got this myriad of led and neon lights bouncing off the windscreen and off the raindrops and it has effect on your field of vision and before you know it BAM! A pigeon? Another car. You've crashed because you are blinded by the lights. Were you driving on the wrong side of the road by any chance? I don't drive. I don't you need to worry about walking into other people. Or a fire hydrant. Or any sort of other pavement obstacle. Sucks being you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but and in a cyberpunk city like Chongqing, this effect is multiplied tenfold. What's also true of Chongqing, as well as many other megacities in China, is aerial traffic. Now, we're not talking flying cars and people going around with jetpacks here. We're talking trains mostly, cars and cable cars too, even pedestrians. The skies of a cyberpunk city in fiction are busy thoroughfares of anything from spacecraft and flying cars to drones and robots. The aerial traffic of a cyberpunk city is used as background filter. It's simply something that exists and is normalised. It's used as a class separation device too. In the film The Fifth Element, we see the wealthy moving throughout the world without ever having to set foot in the slums below. Chongqing is the classic example of a cyberpunk city in that it has a monorail passing above the heads of people. Not so much downtown, but definitely throughout the multiple districts and the suburbs of the city. In Huixing, leading out to the airport, there's a stretch of monorail where the street through which it passes is so narrow that the train is mere metres away from the windows of people living in the residential buildings on either side. So, if you enjoy a bit of peace and quiet and you're living in Chongqing, don't buy a house there. I wouldn't recommend it. I travel that route five days a week. 
don't do it. Don't even dream of it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No way. Can you imagine every five minutes having a train go past your window? Yeah, unless, unless you like uh, watching trains. That's a hobby, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. But you see the same ones every day. Anyway, it, it passes through the apartment building down in um, Lisaba, doesn't it? It sure does. And now that is cyberpunk in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, in terms of cars and other such vehicles... There's a place in Lianglu Ko in Chongqing where you can see five different levels of road traveling at the same time. One on the ground and then four raised separate road systems above it. And and then we have the cable cars. You wouldn't call them an everyday mode of transport. But it's more of a touristy thing nowadays. But it does qualify as aerial traffic. And when you're going across one of the many bridges in a taxi or whatever you see these cable cars and the trains moving along in different directions and with all this taking place amongst the mega skyscrapers of the city skyline it just looks so cool it's a it's a spectacle oh yeah it's a feast for the eyes i mean you'll never be bored traveling to and fro in this city and what about the architecture of a cyberpunk city as you can imagine there's an abundant supply of skyscrapers that often stretch on seemingly forever in the fictional representation of cyberpunk cities, every city design is different and every skyscraper design is unique to its corporate or governmental overlords. But when hundreds of these buildings are fused together, they can often blot out the natural sky and create a dark landscape that is illuminated only by neon and flashing screens that batter the people beneath the hordes of advertisements. And not only that, but cyberpunk cities are architectural melting pots. Their designs come from all four corners of the world. And this blending of architectural styles mirrors the many races to be found in the city. Yet its predominant architectural style comes straight from its most dominant culture. So how does all this play out in China? That's what everyone wants to know. Again, we'll take Chongqing as an example and try to paint a pretty picture here. Let's look at the Chongqing Art Museum. Now, it fits the mould of what you would consider the, the trope of a cyberpunk architecture. The outer structure of the building is composed of an interwoven pattern of red beams that run, nor- that run north-south and black beams that run east-west. The design is said to be inspired by chopsticks and hot pot, but such is its striking, even otherworldly appearance that it resembles one of those Imperial Starship destroyers from, from Star Wars, depending on which angle you're looking at it. And like lots of other buildings in Ejong, it's given this extra dimension when it's lit up in bright red at night, making it blend in nicely with the whole cyberpunk aesthetic of the city. Check it out online. It's spectacular. It is amazing. And then you have Raffles City. Raffle City Chongqing, four skyscrapers linked together by a rooftop walkway with another two standing in front of it. It was designed by a man called Moshe Safti, a multinational being in every sense of the world. He has Israeli, Canadian and American citizens citizenships. And if you search for Raffle City Chongqing online, it might look kind of familiar. It might remind you of the Marina Bay Sands building in Singapore and that's because it was designed by the same fella. So we've we've spoken about some of the the visual tropes. Now let's talk about some of the other tropes 
of the genre for a little bit here. How exactly does a cyberpunk city function? Because it's a sensory, sensory experience after all. And one of the biggest things is that advertising is everywhere. It is. Right. So we'll take a little segue for a second to the music of Sig Sig Sputnik. Lovely name. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, Sig Sig Sputnik. Um, they were, they deliberately set themselves up as cyberpunk. Tony James, he was the bassist of Generation X, which was Billy Idol's band. And he founded Sig Sig Sputnik without wanting the band ever to be actually musical. He instead saturated the image, the vision of a cyberpunk dystopian future, um, an image of postmodernism, sci-fi pop culture, technology and commercialism. They sold advertising space between the songs on one of their albums. They actually got paid to advertise L'Oreal's studio line on the album. The band even had the slogan, Fleece the World. And there are other examples of this overwhelming presence of advertising in cyberpunk. Owen, you love your anime, don't you? Anime, or animation, as the Japanese call it. Are you triggered? Yeah, so let's get into it. Japanese animation, Cowboy Bebop. Well, most of Cowboy Bebop is set in dingy, less affluent parts of the used future. In flashbacks to Faye Valentine's revival from cryogenic suspension no warning no spoiler warning sorry lads she comes across several vending machines that suddenly turn on and bombard her with holographic advertisements for themselves now that is something that we definitely have here in china collecting your packages from one of the many machines around the country for example the first thing you have to do is to wait 10 seconds for an advertisement to end an example of this in the fictional world is the film Total Recall from 1990. In it, there are video screens showing adverts in a bus. Now, almost every bus and train in the country runs ads constantly on screens in every single carriage. This is what happens in China. And it goes even further than that in China. Um, pretty much every lift or elevator here have advertising that runs constantly. There are six advertisements in the lift in my apartment and while you're waiting for that lift there are three screens outside the ground floor doors it's inescapable yeah and every app on your phone of course starts with an advertisement that you have to wait for before you skip it um, the televisions have ads before they before you t- it turns on uh, train stations have massive electronic moving billboards hanging from the ceiling or on pedestals in the middle of the station it's not quite as bad as the novel feed where people have chips implanted in them that feed advertisements straight to their brain. But it's inescapable nevertheless. Lovely. And, and we can keep going with these tropes. Nightclubs. Something you might not think about. Nightclubs in cyberpunk are always much cooler, bigger, with girls dancing in scant clothing. Expect to see a line around the block to get in whether the club is full or not. Though... Some people need only wink at the bouncer or have a spot on the guest list and in they go. And expect everybody to be dancing around and having a great time. Whereas in real life, you're likely to see a lot of mood dissonance among the people there and more than a few people who just want to go home. There might even be dancing royalty clearing the dance floor with their amazing dance moves or leading a flash mob style 
dance sequence and table service yeah table always service. table service and you always feel like sex is right there be it free or not with with big visuals which cover the walls floors and ceilings everything and lots of clean sharp lines in china that's almost exactly what nightclubs are even the chinese people dancing inside line up together and hold hands to dance in one straight line swinging their arms forward and back just like it was an old video game where they didn't want to go through their trouble of making individual character models so just like the crowd effects on fifa precisely that in Chongqing, we have Ninth Street, which is an entire zone of bars and nightclubs that reflect just this. The name of the area is illuminated brightly for everyone to see from the top of the tallest skyscraper. Which takes us on to arguably the most obvious trope, neon lights. Ever since they were invented, neon lights, or their more modern, modern equivalents, they've been associated with big cities. As such, an abundance of them is often used to characterise a place or help set a mood. Bright, coloured lights and signs may serve to establish the city in your mind as advanced. Filling a city with brightly coloured lights, or better yet, video screens and holograms, is sometimes used to make it look high-tech or intensively developed. Your average cyberpunk city is often drenched in neon lighting. And which stand out all the more if you've got the typical cyberpunk weather as we described earlier and it always seems to be nighttime. all you have to do to see this is go to the center of any chinese city at night there will be a light show on the buildings this imagery itself itself was taken from that hong kong on a bad day even the boats on rivers in chinese cities are lit up in bright yellows and pinks and blue and some look like dragons which leads us to the most surprising of all the tropes when put into a Chinese context. These light shows, they're not just light shows. They are on the sides of shopping malls too. And cyberpunk is essentially hyper-capitalist. It's a riot of competing signs that can be used to establish that commercialism and consumerism are the dominant forces in society. No matter where you look, you can't escape ads trying to sell you something. And the skyline is crowded with giant megacorp logos. And as we mentioned briefly there, cyberpunk loves its massive corporations. Uh, these corporations are umbrella corporations, controlling dozens of smaller companies that manufacture everything from clothing to military hardware. Traditionally, it was rare for mega corporations to be portrayed in cyberpunk as anything other than negatively. Rather than being a simple business making things that people want to buy, they're the villains of the setting, depicted as exploitative, oppressive, and screwing the rules with their money while maintaining a peace and love incorporated facade. However, in post cyberpunk stories, some megacorps can they can aspire to be a big good providing the hero with amazing equipment or are owned by and supported by a rich idiot with no day job there do exist some benevolent portrayals of a megacorp which they're large businesses who employ a lot of people and aren't shown practicing unethical trade practices these benevolent portrayals, they've become increasingly more common in 21st century media. Right, and 
mega corporations are shown to be private institutions that don't have to play by the rules yeah. because why nobody is forcing you to work for them or buy from them or use their institutions or buy their products whatever the case might be dark versions will show these guys buying off and eliminating their competitors brainwashing the masses and coming up with evil plans to ensure they have a monopoly their employees are portrayed as oppressed paid pitifully low wages uh, if paid at all and they are expendable but in real life monopolies monopsonies where which is only one buyer of goods in the market duopolies which is only two seller of goods in the market and oligopolies which is a small handful of mega core en- entities that are selling in the market they do exist in real life and indeed very large multinational corporations do exist there's a, there's a lot of opolies there ain't there's it? a lot of opolies there's opal opal opolies yeah um but they're all they're all terms you know um and these these corporations are big they're massive and they some of them do engage in unethical practices or political influence and there are historical examples of megacores acting as either a state within a state or as a semi-independent political entity um i'll just bring you back to the oligopolies right so and i'm i bring it back to a zoned district in china if you want to buy paint let's say you go to paint street yeah and it exists it exists you go to paint street and on paint street every shop sells paint yeah and it all sell the same paint Mm -hmm. and it's all the same price and it all comes from the same place yeah and you just have 20 different shops of 20 different people selling 20 of the same paints and they fix their prices and they ensure that they get paid. Yeah. Which one do you choose? That's the question. Yeah. Well, you just choose. go with the friendliest person. The friendliest, go with the friendliest face. Yeah. Friendliest face. Yeah. Or Standing the person outside that you know. calling you in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, now, much of modern fear of corporations comes from predictions of what lines they might cross to meet their need for expansion. Examples in cyberpunk are literally too numerous to list. One would be the Wayland Utany Corporation in the film Alien. Famously evil enough to sacrifice squads of colonial marines, entire colonies and the security of the earth in its attempt to weaponize the eponymous alien critters. In the fourth film, this is eventually this corporation is eventually bought out by an even more evil rival, Walmart. No, that is an evil corporation. If ever there was one. <laughs> if ever there was one. Um yeah, so the Tyrrell Corporation and Blade Runner um, that controls the production of androids. With this and the whale and the Utani, both of these actually predate the the cyberpunk genre. Ridley Scott can be considered that this trope's codifier, if not the man who made it himself. Um, in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Tyrrell has gone bankrupt and was bought out by the Wallace Corporation, which they had massive power because they controlled the entire world's food supply. Yeah, and then we have the fifth element. In the fifth element, the Zorg Corporation has business interests ranging from taxi service to weapons manufacturing, plus a CEO who sells out humanity to the big bad in exchange for a couple of extra books and personally attempts to kill the heroes when his hired guns can't do it. Now, that's the extreme side of things. And again, we need to separate 
fiction from reality. Yes, indeed. In China, I can use, I can take out my phone and I can use my WeChat app to yep. get a bike, to get a meal delivered, uh-huh. to call a doctor, to order my shopping from the supermarket, Alipay too. Um, they give daily updates on COVID cases and they have health codes which are acceptable for travel on trains and planes. They have all your personal information. They're linked directly to your ID card and your passport number. Sounds like Big Brother. But in all actuality, massive corporations like this make life easier. You might even go so far as saying that they operate for the common good. Tencent, WeChat's owners, they operate banking. Social media, video games, television, comic books, you name it. They do it. And and then the next one, um, mega cities. A city whose population and physical size are massive. Not just in raw numbers, but in density. The actual size can depend on the average city size of the setting. But for modern science fiction, you can assume the numbers of citizens in these cities goes into the hundreds of millions or even the billions depending on the setting you can expect to see a lot of tall buildings endless suburbs and futuristic ways to get around if you're lucky enough the author may have even thought of the difficulties with providing food and water for all the inhabitants as well as the problems for the environments which many people naturally generate if you are unlucky however the heroes may find themselves alone at times and places where that should be impossible given the population density. The mega city will probably be the capital city or hub city. And if it's not, it's a merchant city. And there'll definitely be a bazaar of the bazaar, a market or a black market, if you know the right place to look. The most extreme examples of this are the mega cities in Judge Dredd, another film. Uh, in it, the city's growth has become dense and layered enough to transform it into a near-solid mass of architecture. And in Judge Dredd, the world is divided into these kinds of, of cities. Dredd's home city of Mega City One. That grew from Boswash until it covered the entire eastern seaboard. In fact, the whole point of the Apocalypse War arc was to trim its sheer size down, as it had become simply too big. And then you have the Matrix... The pre-war, the pre-war human cities spanned hundreds of miles and they needed armies of robots to maintain themselves. It's implied that the entirety of civilization within the Matrix is one of these. Just And it's just dubbed The City for lack of a need for a more specific name. What we're talking about here is China. Chongqing is the largest metropolitan area in the world. Shanghai is probably the largest city in the world. China has 65 cities with more than a million people and 360 cities with between 100,000 and 1 million people. Do you know what I think cyberpunk really is? What? When you're younger, you read books about dragons and unicorns and fantastical elements and princesses and castles and whatnot. Yeah, of course. Comes with being a child. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, you're told to, to grow up. And it's not cool anymore mm. to fantasize. And your imaginary world just starts to slip away from you. You have to be more mature and conform to society in a way as you grow up. Exactly. And cyberpunk, to me, is a reaction to that. It's looking at the world and fantasizing 
about how far you can push the real, tangible, everyday things, pushing them into the world of fantasy. So it's like an extension of childhood desires, but through the lens of an adult. You don't have to grow up in cyberpunk. Yeah, it's yeah, it's looking at the world and seeing that technology doesn't have to kill us. Technology isn't the enemy. Stifled dreams are the enemy. In a cyberpunk world, you can do anything. You can take a hoverboard to work. You can go to all the best nightclubs. You can contact anyone at any time. You can even augment your very person and get yourself a robotic arm to become the best human you could be. Or simply go get some noodles in the rain and stuff them into your mouth all at once in a big ball. And eat them with your mouth open. And talk with your mouth full. Do you know Decker and Blade Runner... He wasn't eating ramen, he was eating Yang Chun noodles. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a Yang Chun noodles shop beside us. Okay. Like, follow, subscribe. Now, we've only described the tip of the iceberg here. And Chinese people are fully aware that they reside in a cyberpunk reality. So, how have they reacted? Stay tuned for part two. Toodles! <笑>你要熊哥就吃馒头亏